We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Chasing Hardware, the podcast that sits down with the sports figures you grew up with and hears their stories. Hi, this is Rich Lamello, and welcome to Chasing Hardware. My guest today is Bill Kilmer, who, according to one of his teammates on the New Orleans Saints, was uh, never knew a man who could endure as much pain as he did. And uh, in, in watching some of the great old clips of, of Bill Kilmer was called one of the greatest competitors we've ever seen, Wild Bill Kilmer. Bill Kilmer, welcome to Chasing Hardware. Thank you, Rich. It's nice to be here. Yeah, it's good to uh, look forward to our chat today. Um, obviously, Bill Kilmer, most people will remember you from your days as the Washington Redskins quarterback in the 70s and before that, San Francisco and New Orleans. You, uh, you grew up in California, in Southern California, and went to Citrus Union High School. Yep. And you were uh, kind of the prototypical all-around athlete, all-American high school basketball player, star baseball player, and obviously a pretty good football player, too. Well, you know, it's funny. Actually, in high school, football was my least uh, sport. I, was, uh, I only went out for it because it was a season, you know. My real sport was basketball and, and actually baseball. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I wasn't that good a football player uh, uh, on a team. I mean, I, I was a quarterback, and uh, I played quarterback, but uh, uh, I only made all conference, I think, my senior year. Uh, you know, uh I don't know, maybe because cause I played three years there. I don't know why. we Our team wasn't that good the three years I was there. But anyway, uh, you know, my, my real sports in high school was basketball. I was all CIF player of the year in, uh, in basketball in 1957. And uh, that was uh, a southern section of our high school section. And... Uh, and baseball was what I really loved, and I played, you know, all the time. And I thought I might be a professional baseball player one time. Uh, you know, I batted about 500 that whole year. And after the season, I I had uh, 
three or four scouts had wanted to talk to me, and one and one scout came in to talk to my mom and dad and offered me fifty thousand dollars to play back in nineteen fifty seven, and boy, that was a lot of money back then. And uh, you know, I I definitely wanted to do that. My mother put her foot down and said, uh, told my dad, if he signs that contract, he'll never go to college. And I didn't raise him not to go to college. And if he wants to play baseball, he's got to go four years to college. And then after that, he can do what he wants to. So she was so adamant about it. And my dad gave in. And so, you know, at the time I got a scholarship offered from UCLA and SC to play football. But, uh, I went and met the UCLA football coach at the time was Red Sanders, and uh, they played the single wing offense. And uh, in high school, we played the, t- the, the in those days the split T formation, and the quarterback all he did was run down the line and then pitched it, or if he did, he'd run it. There was no throwing off of that formation or anything. And, you know, I, it was kind of dull, but the, I always wanted, to, if I was going to stay in football, to be a single wing tailback. And when Red Sanders recruited me my senior year, and uh, uh, and Mom was so adamant about, you know, uh, me, me not play, signing a baseball contract, so. I ended up taking the scholarship to football, and that's how I got to be a football player. That's amazing. And and USC was not running the single wing. They were no, they were running the split team, and they they just did had a brand new coach named Don Clark at the time, and they ran the split team. You know, I wasn't really interested in SC at all. Right. You know, also I got offered a scholarship to play basketball from John Wooden at uh, a high school. And, uh, you know, going to UCLA, of course. And uh, the only reason I didn't take the basketball scholarship because I could play back then. You know, I averaged 30 points a game in high school. That's before they had the three-point, you know, line and all that. And uh, uh, the only reason I didn't go for basketball is because professionally, I wanted to be a professional athlete. And... uh, but I knew basketball. I didn't grow much more. I was only six foot, which I am right now. And, uh, you know, and basketball players at the time, they weren't making a lot of money, and football was glamorous. Of course, baseball, you know, they were starting into the $100,000 contracts with Mickey Mantle and those guys. And sure. the money was good there. So, you know, that that's that's the only reason I, I never, you know, wanted took the basketball scholarship and I, I had many scholarship offers from Cal and Stanford and everywhere. And you ultimately did play a year of basketball at UCLA under Wooden, didn't you? Yeah, I did. By my junior year, he, uh, you know, before, uh, right after my sophomore year, going into my junior year, I was playing in a, uh, uh, uh intramural, league at UCLA and we have, and my, I was with the the Phi Gamma Delta sorority. I played for them and, uh, and we were in the finals of the, of the intramural, you know, it was in the late spring, I guess it was. But anyway, 
I didn't know John Coach Wooden was in the uh, gym at the time when we played the finals, and I scored 42 points and had a pretty good game, and we won the game. And uh, so about a week later, I'm down in the football office at UCLA, and I hear this voice yelling at me down the hall because Coach Wooden's office was down the hall. I looked down, and he was said, come here, I want to talk to you. So I went down, and he said, would you like to play, you know, after football season in your junior year? And I said, sure, it keep me in shape. I'd love to play. So that's how I got on the team. Wow. How was that? How was playing for the Wizard of Westwood? Yeah, it was very enlightening. And I'll tell you one thing, he kept you moving all the time. You know, there's no nonsense. Uh, you know, he, he was strict. But he was uh, very fair, and as long as you stayed with his program, you were all right. Yeah. It's funny, the, the very popular TV show now called Ted Lasso, uh, I was watching it last night with my kids and my wife, and uh, at one point they cut to a scene in the locker room, and you see the John Wooden Pyramid of Success hanging on the wall. Oh, yeah. English yeah. soccer coach's uh, office. It's pretty amazing. Um, and so, so at UCLA, you're playing football. Your senior year, you lead the nation in total offense. You finished fifth in the Heisman. I think that was the Joe Bellino Navy year. Yeah, Joe and, Bellino was, yeah, he won the Heisman that year. And you, you finished fifth. Um, and I, I'm, I'm intrigued. One of your teammates at UCLA uh, was Jimmy Johnson, who not yep. only played with you at UCLA, but then also you were both first round draft picks the same year with San Francisco. Right. Uh, and he ultimately makes it in the hall of fame, but he was also a heck of a receiver as well as a defensive back. Right. Oh yeah. I threw him a lot of the passes at UCLA. You know, uh, when I got to UCLA, the, the single wing was a very tight formation, mostly running off of it, you know, and uh, uh, when I got there, they put in what we called pro right or pro left, and we could run the same offense that we had, but we split the wing back, which was Jimmy, out on the, on the, on the strong side, and Marv Luster was my weak side in, and we split him out. Now we had a pro offense, and we threw off of that a lot, So and uh, they had never run that before till I got there because they, they knew I could throw pretty good too, so... Okay. Anyway, that that was kind of uh, a little di different wrinkle and helped me, you know, get him in that total offense leader I was that year. Yeah. And Jimmy Johnson, I should clarify for our listeners, not the Jimmy Johnson who coached the Cowboys in Miami of Florida. Jimmy Johnson, no, no. Hall of Fame defensive back for the 49ers. And he was the brother of Rayford Johnson. Exactly. Olympic gold medalist uh, in the decathlon. Right. Um, yeah, so yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy and I were good friends and he was a hell of an athlete. You know, his senior year, he won the NCAA high hurdles, uh, champion there, uh, his senior year. Is that he, right? You know, he went out for track, Ducky Drake got him to go out for track, but he was, a, he was a pretty good athlete. Yeah. Yeah. And, and has a bust in Canton, which is not, not such a bad outcome. No, that, yeah, he was a great defensive back. I remember when he, when we were rookies, though, they they played him at wide receiver. And I think my second year, too, because 
I know that my second year with the Niners, they made me a running back. And I, we were in an exhibition game, and I, I, I took a sweep, They call, and, and it was an option, run-pass option. And I hit Jimmy for about an 80-yarder, <laughs> you know, and you know, we, but after that, they made Jimmy a defensive back, which really, really, he was, that was his position. And he's in the Hall of Fame because of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the two of you get drafted in the same first round to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. You get there, your coach there, as opposed to Red Sanders at uh, UCLA, your, your coach in San Francisco is Red Hickey. Right. And he is uh, looking to install the shotgun. For I, I think that's the first time the NFL had ever seen the shotgun, right? Yeah, he was kind of the father of the original shotgun, right? Yeah, and it's amazing to think that you know now there are quarterbacks who've never taken a snap from under center. It's you know strictly shotgun, but when you right. were coming to San Francisco, it, it was a it was a, a newfound you know kind of revelation. And you were drafted because you were going to be the running quarterback, right? He clearly knew why a Tittle and John Brody were not going to fit that bill. Well, that's true. You know, in my first week when I came in uh, for the All-Star game in 1961, my rookie year, and I, you know, I was in camp for one week, and we went up to play the Giants in uh, Portland, Oregon. And I remember, uh, and Y. Tittle was with us at 49ers at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, uh, John Brody started the game, but Y.E. Tittle started the second half, and Sam Huff, when Y.E. Tittle was in in the game, Sam Huff was running up and down the line telling all the defensive linemen, don't hurt Tittle. Don't hurt Tittle. He'll be with us tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? That's exactly right. And by God, the, the after the game, you know, and we we're flying home, and well, actually, it was that was on a Saturday night. We flew home, and on Sunday morning, he was he had been traded to the Giants. Oh my God, that is funny. That I've never heard that before. That is great. Oh, yeah, yeah. So then, so so Tittle gets dealt to to New York, where he has some success. I mean, takes him to three straight That's championships. Great success, right? Yeah, and so that leaves you and John Brody. And was George Myra there at the time? No, uh, Bobby Waters was the other quarterback, and Bobby, you know, was, uh, you know, kind of the backup behind uh, um, John. And, and, you know, Redhead installed the shotgun the year before I got there, and they ran it a few times uh, late in the season, in uh, the 60 season. And John and, and Bobby would kind of trade off, uh, you know, uh, Red would, uh, John would throw 90% of the time. He wasn't going to be any runner. And then Bobby, at the time, you know, he would run or he would throw depending on the situation. Right. Now, when I got there, uh, we played two games as the season started. We had one game against the Redskins, by the way, we opened with that year at Kizar, and we beat them. And then we went on the road and had to play Green Bay. We had uh, two road games back-to-back. In in those days, you flew to Green Bay, played the game, and then we went to Milwaukee for a week to work out, to then go to the Detroit Lions the next week. 
Oh wow! And uh, instead of flying back and forth, because you you know there wasn't jet engines in those times, we were flying four engine Convairs or something like that. So sure. anyway, we're in Milwaukee in, in, after the Green Bay game, and Green Bay beat up on us pretty good. And uh, so we're in Milwaukee, and our first workout that week, Red uh, took us all out of the hotel, and we're supposed to go to. I forgot some university there, but he took us to the county stadium. Oh, and maybe Marquette of, University. Yeah, well, yeah, I think that. But we went to county stadium, the baseball stadium. We baseball was over with by that time, and so uh, we had a secret workout there. And he initiated the shotgun, and huh. we were going to throw it against the Lions the next week. And so, uh, but the deal was. I would be the I'd come in on first down and then Bobby Waters came in on the second down and then John came in on third down and we rotated the quarterbacks like that and um Red called the plays and when we were rotating like that and uh and so when we went to Detroit they had never seen the shotgun before and we <laughs> we uh beat them 49 to nothing and i remember i ran for 130 some yards or something and i scored two touchdowns and we beat them 49 nothing and uh so the next week we went home and uh played the rams in Kizar stadium and we stayed with the shotgun the whole time rotating the quarterbacks and I gained another hundred and some yards. Uh, you'd have to look up stats. I'm not sure, but and then scored two more touchdowns, and we beat them 35 nothing, the Rams. And the next week, we went to Minnesota, and uh, and we ran it again up there, and we uh, I scored four touchdowns that stayed a record there for a number of years, Jeez. and gained another hundred and some yards, and. Um, you know, and then we went back to Milwaukee the, that week, and we were going to, and worked out, we were playing the Chicago Bears. And when we <laughs> went back to the workout on uh, Tuesday, I think it was then, and uh, Sports Illustrated was there and was doing a big layout on us. Uh, this was going to be the offense of the 70s, and, and uh, or the 60s, I'm sorry. That was 61, the offense of the 60s. And uh, they were doing a big lab, taking pictures. And uh, Tex Mall was a writer for the uh, Sports Illustrated at the time, the pro writer, and he was doing all kinds of stories on us. So we went down and played the Bears, and they put a plug in our shotgun. They beat us 31 nothing. Oh. <laughs> and then... Then we went to play the Steelers the next week. We stayed in Chicago, worked out a week, went over to play Pittsburgh, and they beat it. It was a close game, but they beat us by three points or something. I don't forgot the score. Anyway, we went back to uh, Kizar the next week and played the Lions again. The Lions came in. We kept the shotgun that day, and we ended up, they tied us 20-20 to in that game. And I think you know we we the, I can't remember the stats there, but they kind of defense is pretty good anyway. 
So finally, in the next week, the bears were coming back in town, the keys are, and so Red shelled the shotgun. I never played again. I think I played one or two more times, but only on goal life situations where I'd run in or for, you know, third and ones or something like that. But anyway, I didn't play very much after that, and Red went back to the T formation, and John Brody was the quarterback, and... uh you know, well, he ended up beating the Bears pretty good that year, that game, right. uh, in that game, and uh, we kept the the tee the rest of the year. And I don't, and we never ran the shotgun again as an offense. Huh. Okay. And and so you essentially kind of became a running back, right? Like kind of sixty-two. Well, my second year, I came back. You know, and I was always working out as a third-team quarterback or. I always was at quarterback meetings, you know, the 49ers always kept, you know, in red, of course, he, you know, he knew I could play quarterback and I worked as a T quarterback, you know, uh, I hadn't done it since high school, but still, you right. know, I did it in practice and I used to work out late, you know, after practice, I would always keep an end out or something and, and you know, uh, throw and passes and all that. But, uh, when I came back my second year in training camp, we were short on running backs, and Red made me a running back. And after the, I think the first or second game of the year, uh, we weren't doing real good uh, in the running game and everything. So he made me a running back, and I ended up being the starting running back till uh, I broke my leg in a car accident in uh, December of 62 right. and I, I was, uh, you know, if you look at stats, I, I averaged five yards a carry as a running back. I can't remember how many yards I made that year, five, four, 500 yards or something. Yeah. I think you were kind of like 500 each of your first couple of years. Yeah. And but yeah. I, after I broke my leg in that car accident, that curtailed my running back days. And, uh, and I ended up, you know, Staying with the Niners as their backup quarterback for two years, three years there. And, and so, so a couple of questions. So, first of all, and I, sh- I should go back and say this for the listener also. Amazingly, for you know, as legendary a quarterback as as you were in the NFL, you're in the College Football Hall of Fame listed as a halfback for your your days. Yeah, well, that was well, a, a single wing tailback was really a halfback, you know. Yeah. So that's, that's just, a, just shows the, uh, you know, kind of all around ability. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And with, and you and John Brody, I'm just trying to figure out, was it, was it a pretty close relationship? Like, was there a lot of yeah. golf being played? Yeah. John and I were real close and he's still a good friend. I, I just recently, I was out in LA and uh, I, I called him, talked to him and uh, you know, he, he had that real bad stroke and, He's getting along pretty good, actually. Yeah, yeah. I remember reading about that. Um, that that's tough. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. So then, so you have your car accident. It takes a while to recover. Your backup quarterback from there on out. Uh, one, one question before we go to the New Orleans days. So, in practice over your years in San Francisco, not only did you have Jimmy Johnson, ultimately a Hall of Fame defensive back, you had Dave Wilcox, Hall of Fame linebacker, and early on you had Leo Namalini. All, all, uh, all, when I say all American, I mean Hall of Fame Dave Wilcox and Hall of Famer Leo Namalini. 
How tough was that? Also, also Hall of Famer Bob St. Clair was a good friend. Was um, our offensive uh, right tackle? That's right. So how? So so obviously the 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 duels in practice must have been unbelievable. I mean, how tough was going up against just every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday going up against that defense? Well, they were were pretty good. I mean, uh, you know, but. You know, our pro practices were, you know, we, nobody hit in each other. In fact, you know, my rookie year, my second year, while Red was there, after training camp, we never wore pads for practice. You know, we just wore helmets because on seven on seven, nobody would crack their heads. But, uh, you know, we we very rarely hit in practice after the, the training camp. Yeah. Gotcha. And for, for, for the listener, listener out there, if you ever want to see some just amazing footage, you, you know, we've all heard about Cordell Stewart, you know, slash Stewart with Pittsburgh and obviously more recently Taysom Hill in New Orleans. You've never seen anything till you've watched video of Bill Kilmer on a single drive, taking the snap from center and running, taking the snap from center and passing, playing tailback, getting, a pa- getting the ball, running wide and throwing. Then catching <laughs> passes, then blocking, all in one drive. It's I've never seen. Uh, there's never been a quarterback do anything like that before, um, or since. <laughs> well, you you had to do a lot of things back then. You know, there's a, you know, the, we didn't have the big squads at the time. You know, where there was only thirty, I think at the time, thirty-eight or thirty-nine man squads. So you had to be a little versatile back then to keep your job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then, so, so you're back up in San Francisco and then the expansion draft comes and you get picked up by New Orleans and this is a great chance. It's going to be an expansion team yeah. and all that means, but it's also a chance to come in and, and, you know, be the guy for. Well, one of the things, uh, just to regress just a hair yeah. in my San Francisco days, after my car accident, I ended up being the third quarterback for the Niners, and that was on 64, 65, 66. And one of the reasons is, and was very unique, was because our kicker was Tommy Davis, and he was also, uh, he was our punter and field goal kicker, and we only needed one guy, and so they kept three quarterbacks for, you know, on a 39-man squads, usually you know, they had two kickers on most teams, you know, one to place kick and one to punt. Sure. So, they're, you know, they took up a roster spot. And that's probably the reason I stayed in the league at all, you know, before the expansion. So, uh, you know, okay. I was very lucky there in that way. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, so you stay in San Francisco and then the expansion draft comes, you go. And New Orleans in the expansion draft – they get you. They got Paul Horning, although he ultimately didn't play for them. They got Bill Curry, who ultimately was traded before he ever suited up for them. Yeah. He was traded for yeah. Baltimore. And is that how they also picked up? Well, they picked up Jim Taylor and Doug Atkins. Also, was that both through the expansion? Well, that, no, that, no, Jim, Jimmy. Now, Jim was. I think they. I'm not, I think they had to trade for Jimmy. Okay. Because Horny came in the expansion draft, you know they, they each team had to give up three players, you know, and the Forty ers gave up me, uh, a tight end, uh, uh, Kent Kramer, and Albert Kimbrough. 
And Kent and I got on the New Orleans team. Elbert decided to retire. But uh, uh, Hornin came in the expansion draft, but they traded for Taylor. And they traded for uh, Doug, too, I think. So, you know, I don't think Doug was on the expansion draft. He could have been. I don't remember. But uh, that was a great pickup because Doug had two Pro Bowl years when he was there with us. Yeah, and I've, I've, you know, I've read things. I think I was reading Bill Curry's book the other day, and he was talking about just how nasty a player he was in Chicago. <laughs> You're right, boy. <laughs> you didn't, you didn't uh, piss off Doug. Uh, you know, you always kept Doug just uh, being Doug. You didn't want to make him mad because <laughs> I've seen him, uh, I've seen him uh, get mad at, at at tackles. And I've seen him pick up tackles by the elbows and just carry them back to the quarterback. That's how strong he was. <laughs> That's amazing. And uh, and Jimmy Taylor is is the, he's the, the prodigal son coming home, right? A Louisiana guy. Yeah, he was. Uh, yeah, they loved him in Louisiana. I mean, they, I mean, you know, we get eighty th- back then. You know, when the Saints first started in fifty uh, sixty seven. We'd get eighty three thousand every game. Well, we didn't win a lot of the games, but we still got eighty thousand in the two lane old two lane stadium, and they all came to see Jimmy Taylor. That's for sure. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And you had a, uh, a receiver, scrappy receiver. I think I read that there was a chapter in a book called Hundred Dollar Hands and Ten Cent Feet," and it was the chapter <laughs> about Danny Abramowitz. Danny, yeah. I, I know Danny, he made the team, you know, his, his rookie year. It was, his rookie year was 67, and he played special teams. He ran down on kickoffs. He did everything. You know, and uh, we're playing an exhibition game in Portland against the 49ers, by the way. And uh, uh, one of the scouts came, to a friend of mine who was scouting uh, for – for us and said that they were going to cut Danny after the game, uh, uh, 49er game, you know. And so I went to Danny and I said, look, Danny, I'm only going to play. I started the game and played just the first half. And I said, look, Danny, I know I hear that you might get cut. I said, I'm going to throw you as many balls as I can. I threw him six balls in the first half. He caught every ball. He caught them wherever they were. And uh, he played on special team. He had a great game, and that's how he made the team. That's amazing. God, isn't that just amazing? Like, just one little thing like that changes the fortunes of a guy's career. Sure is. Sure did. And Tom Fears was the coach. Never an easy spot being an expansion team, but how, how was Tom as a coach? A legendary. I love Tom. Tom gave him my shot. You know, Tom went to UCLA, and he knew about me and everything. I had never met him really before. But, you know, when I came there, I was really the third-team quarterback. They, 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 the reason Bill Curry went to Baltimore and we gave up a number one draft choice was because they, the Saints at the time traded for Gary Quazzo, who right. had played for the Colts and was the backup to Johnny Unitas. But he had gotten in some games <clears throat> a couple of years you know, there he played there a couple, three years. I forget, but he got in some games and did very well. Yep. So uh, they traded for him, and he was the number one quarterback going into our training camp. And uh, also was a kid named Gary Wood from the Giants. 
and then me, you know, and and Tom Fears, and I remember signing my contract, and not with Fears, but one of the scouts there. I signed it. I didn't even look how much. He said, don't you want to know how much you're making? I said, no, just give me a chance to play. (laughs) And I gave it back to him. And anyway, uh, Tom did give me a chance to play. I got in the exhibition games, you know, and I did pretty well in all the exhibition games because we won six exhibition games that year, you know, and we were an expansion team and you know the the crowds were going crazy because we we won all our we had six exhibition games we really had seven but one of them was supposed to be a scrimmage against the Rams but and we played them in Anaheim Stadium that was our first and they beat us by a close score like 12-7 or something like that but anyway we won our next six games and uh, they thought boy we were going to be in I ended up being the starting quarterback for the Saints, you know, against the Rams, uh, you know, starting that season. Yep. And it's, you know, it's funny because it, it's easy to say, well, tough couple of years for New Orleans and the record wasn't that good. But the reality is, if you look at the expansion teams through the first two or three decades of the NFL, when, you know, from the 60s on, I should say. Right. Your your team's record through those first couple of years was better than the early Vikings and Cowboys, better than the early Falcons, better than the early Seahawks and Buccaneers in the 70s. I mean, it wasn't yeah. until 90s and the Panthers and the Jags where the NFL kind of changed how they handled expansion. You you guys were the best expansion team to come along. It just yeah, the first our first three years. There we won. Uh, we won three our first year, four our second, and five our third year, and that was more ga- wins than any expansion team had up at that time. You know, for our first three years. Now our fourth year, everything went down the drain, and you know, and then you know they fired Tom Fears in the middle of that season, and uh, and then I knew I was history there. You know, because uh, uh, Archie Manning was the they had the number one draft choice, and I knew they were going to get Manning uh, from Mississippi there. Sure. Sure. But if it wasn't for Tom Fears, he gave me the chance. It gave me a chance to show that I could play quarterback in the league, and I had, you know, had some good games there. And, you know, through the four years I was there, and uh, <clears throat> and, and for some, you know, we played the Rams twice every year. We never beat them, but we always moved the ball against them, and I, you know, always scored some touchdowns, and you know, we gave them some problems a little bit. And uh, George Allen was the head coach there, and uh, you know, he got the job with the Redskins, and for some reason, he traded for me. Yeah, he, he saw something he liked while you were uh, running around behind the offensive line in New Orleans. And yeah. one thing I have to say in New Orleans, so obviously. You know, great, great time for you because it gave you your shot to prove that you could be a starting yeah. quarterback. Obviously, every competitor wants to win more than that. Um, but not a bad city to go out and have a good time in, right? No, no. Well, see, San Francisco wasn't bad either. So, right. you know, I had two good cities right there in my first years. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Yeah, they kept me entertained. I know that. <laughs> I think I saw that uh, the the Saints the the, the lock the, the nickname in the locker room was Old Whiskey. Is that accurate? 
Yeah, yeah, that, the, yes, they called me the whiskey. And that wasn't because I, I didn't like whiskey at all. I never drank whiskey. I was a beer drinker back then. And uh, but I my face become beat red all the time, and that's just, you know the guys would call me whiskey red. Okay, got it. <laughs> that's funny. So yeah, so George Allen, who is it has you know plenty of success out in Los Angeles, but uh, his tenure with the Rams ends. And meanwhile, in Washington, you had Vince Lombardi come in for one year, and have some decent success. I mean, it's a franchise that had just struggled for decades. But then he sadly gets sick and dies. And so they bring in George Allen after a year with an interim coach. And as you say, George Allen saw enough of you from his days in L.A. when you were in New Orleans to say, I'm bringing him in. And obviously, Sonny Jurgensen's already there. But you come into the front. You're basically George Allen's first acquisition coming in the door in Washington in 71. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was. I um it's funny that uh, I knew I was going to get traded, uh, and uh, and I was down at the Super Bowl of, of the year that uh, Baltimore and uh, the Cowboys played, and Baltimore beat them on a field goal. And I stayed over with a friend of mine because uh, he was running a thoroughbred, a good one, in a stakes race at Pialea. And I stayed over a week to go with him and went to the track every day and everything. And so while I was with him, we were staying at this hotel, and I get a call from the Saints first, and then I get a call from some writer in in Washington. And uh, so I get I call the the Saints, and uh, J.D. Roberts was the coach then, and he said, "We we just trade you to the Redskins and." I didn't listen to him too long. I said, oh, good, thanks, thanks a lot, you know, and hung up. And so I called the writer in, in Washington, and his name was Dave Brady, I think, and uh, he was with the Post there. And he said, you just been traded to the Redskins and blah, blah, blah. We went through some of the stuff. And and I said, well, you know, I know I'm just back up to Sonny Jurgensen, and, you know, I, I know I could play somewhere else. Well, uh, then George Allen called, and uh, he wanted me to. And I told George, I said, "Look, George, I said, I know I'm a backup to Sonny, and uh, I know you know, uh, and but I'm 31 years old. I said I can play somewhere in this league, and there's other teams I know that wanted me, and they did. And I said I would appreciate you, you know, if you just." To let me go to one of these other, trade me to some other team. And George didn't want to hear that. He said, oh, no, no, you get on the plane right now and you get come up here. I want to talk to you. And, you know, and he gave me, we're going to have a great team here and I'm going to make some changes in the defense and you got to come up here right now. And that was, it was on a Tuesday in this race. The next day was on a Wednesday, and I told George, I said, Coach, I can't come tomorrow. He said, well, why not? I said, well, I'm down here with this friend of mine, and I want to see this horse race tomorrow. And all of a sudden, <laughs> there's a dead silence on the phone. I said, maybe I was traded right then. But anyway, he said, oh, no, okay, that's good. Come Thursday. And so I did. I can't. I went waited on Thursday. I flew up there, and Somebody met me at the airport, and we drove down. Their offices was down on uh, M Street, 
I think, at the time, yeah. And uh, I went into the office, and that's when they made the big trade for the L.A. Rams and brought in, you know, Dyron Talbert and Byron Patios and uh, Jack Pardee, all defensive players, most of them the good ones. And uh, and he revamped the whole defense, you know. And uh, But he yeah. got me in there, and, you know, in his office, and he said, look what I've done. We're going to have them good team here we're gonna I want you to be part of it you're gonna be part of this team and you know and the way he talked and everything I never heard a coach really talk he was rah rah this and you know he was kind of corny but he was he I knew he meant it yeah so uh I said well uh, you know to myself I said well I'm gonna stick around for a year anyway and see what goes on so that's that's how I got to the Redskins and he and so so that trade that where he brought in you know basically half of the Rams defense that was the defense he had been coaching just just before exactly. he got to Washington. Um, so he, he, he ended he, up he, getting Richie Pettibone too as a strong safety. That's right. Late, you know, uh, later in training camp he came in '71. Yeah. And also picked up uh, Ron McDowell from the Bills, right? Yeah, well, Ron McDowell and. Uh, the defensive end from uh, the Jets, he really was good. The big black well, Verlon kid. Biggs. Who? Verlon Biggs. Verlon Biggs, yeah. Verlon Biggs. Boy, you, I remember playing the Jets one time, and I looked down at Verlon, on, who was at my left. He's right defensive end, and I looked at him, and he looked like the meanest son of a gun I ever saw. He scared the heck out of me. <laughs> he had a big old head with a big old beard. And uh, I said, oh, man, I don't want him to hit me. I know that. But then he ended up being my teammate for years there. And what's the greatest, he's just the best lovable guy in the world. And was a great football player for us. Yeah. Yeah, Verlon Biggs, he was a star. He started for the Jets in Super Bowl three against the Colts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And I think he, I I can't remember what it was. He might've had like a contract problem with the jets and that's why he was. Yeah, I think so. George picked him up. I know that. It's amazing. He snapped together that team in, you know, in this, in the matter of a couple of days, all of a sudden he had a legit team on his hands. Well, we always, the Redskins always had a good offense, you know, for the years. And when Sonny was there and Larry Brown and Jerry Smith and, uh, Charlie Taylor, of course, had some of his great years there uh, as a receiver. And then he did pick up Roy Jefferson in 71, and he really solidified our good offense. He was our uh, our, our uh, flanker back. And, uh, yeah, yeah, we we had and a good offensive line, too, a really good offensive line. And, and, uh, and so he didn't have to do much with the offense at all. Yeah, he. Um, uh, I, I saw a great story. It must have been right before you got there. Well, two years before you got there, Larry Brown, star running back, but basically at Kansas State was basically a blocking back, and he just kind of ends up. What's that? Right. Yeah, ends up in Lombardi's training camp, and Lombardi notices that he's slow off the snap every play, and <laughs> right. he he starts talking to him, and he realizes this guy can't hear. And right. he sends him to like an, I think it's an audiologist. I'm not even totally sure the term. Yep. And they give him a hearing aid. And all and of a sudden. they build it in and there's a helmet. Yeah. <laughs> and I think they had to get permission from the league. And yeah. 
And it turns out he had been like watching the tackle in front of him's legs. And until that guy moved, he didn't do anything. So he always looked a little slow. And then all of a sudden he became an all pro back like that. Oh yeah. He could get off the ball. Good boy. He was great. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, he had some good years there with us in the seven. Well, he's MVP in our Super Bowl year. And, uh, and he, you know, he, 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 he was just a good all around great back. Ought to be in the hall of fame. There's another one that should be in the hall of fame. I don't know why they haven't voted him in yet. Yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. And, and, uh, and yeah, some of the, some of the talent, some of the guys who, well, and speaking of, um, talent and, and the hall of fame, who was it? Um, Pat Fisher. Oh my God. Yeah. He had 56 interceptions. Yep. In the in, in and he was I think he was like he's only five. five foot five or five. No, he's about five seven or something like that. Yeah, he's like toughest little kid in the world, boy. Yeah. Somebody somebody described his tackling style as like a jackhammer, and you're thinking oh, he's yeah. five nine, one sixty five. <laughs> that's what it's right. Yeah. 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 And, Patty and, was something else. And 56 interceptions. I mean, that's just incredible to think that that's the, the other one who always stands out to me is the, is the guy from Cincinnati, Ken Riley. How is he not in the hall of fame? Yeah. Um, but, I agree uh, with you. Yeah. But yeah. So, and Roy Jefferson, yeah, you pick, you, you guys pick him up from that Baltimore team that had just won the Super Bowl. He was one right. of morals, uh, you know, well, moral and Unitas's, you know, kind of stud receivers so you get him, Charlie Taylor, who is in the Hall of Fame, who retires as the leading receiver in NFL history. Um, and Jerry yeah. Smith, who still, well, when he retired, had the most t- touchdowns of any tight end in history. Yes, he did. He ought to be in the Hall of Fame, too. There's no doubt about it. You know, he was just a great football player and a good teammate and a loyal guy, you know. Yeah. And it sounded like a very tight team. Um, yep. I my I read somewhere that uh, after the first practice, you know, people were wondering was there going to be a quarterback controversy with Sonny and Billy, and uh, <laughs> you, you said something like after the first practice, you went up to him and said, "Where do you go for a beer around here?" And he was like, yep. "Follow me." <laughs> yeah, he took me. <laughs> We've been and, together ever since. Yeah, that, that's a great story. I love that. Um, so yeah, yeah we, like, we used to drive down the street, you know, together on Monday. We'd go out for a few beers on Mondays you know, as our day off, and I'd meet him downtown, and we'd ha- go and have a few drinks somewhere, and we'd be driving down the street. And you know, in those days, they had a, a bumper stickers: "I like Sonny" or "I like Billy," and they'd be on certain cars, and I'd stick my head out and say. You know, if it was I like Sonny, I said, take that sticker off there, you know, and the people would look and almost drive off the road, you know. <laughs> and we, he and I would be laughing together, and, you know, people couldn't believe that we'd be together. That's true. Oh, that's great. That is that is really funny. <laughs> and, and, that, and that first season is a great season. 71, oh, you yeah. guys make the playoffs. It's the first time since World War II, since 1945 with Sammy Baugh. Right. That Washington makes the playoffs. It's a football playoff-starved town, and you bring them to the playoffs. What a great season that must have been! How much fun! Yeah, uh, I I did get it. Well, as far as me playing, uh, Sonny, you know, uh, broke his shoulder in an exhibition game against Miami down here, 
in in Miami, and uh, I got the start, and uh, we had one exhibition left to go, and then we started that season, and uh, that 71 season, we were on the road to first three league games, and George was really upset because of that schedule that we had to go on the road to first three games. We went to St. Louis, New York, and Dallas. Right. And we won every, and we won all three games. And after we beat Dallas, coming home, and we got to Dulles Airport, that's where we flew into, there was a jillion people. They had backed up all the traffic all the way down Dulles Access, which was about 10 miles. It was a traffic jam all the way back to the Beltway. And uh, it's so many people showed up to, you know, uh, cheer us and everything. And we we made the town come alive after in 71. Yeah. And then, and, and then all of a sudden 72 happens and well and and, and let me tell you this 71 we won our first five games right and we're five and oh and we're going to kansas city and in the first half i throw two touchdowns to charlie taylor and on the second touchdown he's going across the uh, the goal line and the defensive back falls on the back of his legs and breaks his leg and he's out for the year. Now, that one thing, now we did make the playoffs, you're right, but that probably cost us going to the Super Bowl because Charlie was having one of his best years. I think at the time he had already caught, with those two, about five touchdown passes, and we were only six games into the season. And, And Charlie was having a great year, and he, and, and, he kept the defenses honest, you know, and kept our passing game. And then after Charlie went out, then it was a little easier for him to, to really throttle. We got uh, – Boyd Dowler was our other – but he didn't have the speed. Charlie did. He could catch the ball, but he just didn't have the speed. And uh, so, you know, it kind of limited our offense, you know, that year after that Kansas City game. But we did get make the playoffs, you know. We lost that game to San Francisco. But anyway, if Charlie hadn't broke his leg, I guarantee you we would have probably been in the Super Bowl that year. Right. The, the NFC uh, team was Dallas, right? They went and beat Miami? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Dallas. They, they, you know, after that, they came up to – because after we beat them, then they started – Going, you know, I don't think they lost another game after that. Uh, they might have, I don't think, maybe they lost one after that. But after that, because that was the year that Craig Morton and uh, and 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 Roger were going back and forth for the day, and I think they uh, they decided to stay with Roger, and that was, uh, you know, then Roger took them all the way to the Super Bowl. Right. So. And so the next year, Charlie Taylor comes back healthy and you guys oh, yeah. put together another great season. And, and in, in the four years where you and Sonny were together, uh, he obviously had had, you know, some injury problems and stuff. You, you ended up starting the vast majority of those games, right? Like, I think I saw. Yeah, I always started out the season after the 71, I started the season uh, well, the 72 season, I started the season as 
And we went to Minnesota on Monday night and beat them there. And then we played, uh, we were on the road again in 72. I think we went up and played the Giants, and we beat them there. And then, I can't remember. Oh, I know. Then we uh, the third game of the year, we went to New Orleans. Uh, no, I guess we, I can't remember. We came home after we went to Minnesota. We won the game in, in RFK, our second game of the year. And then we went to New England. Mm-hmm. And I started the game, and I threw three touchdown passes, had one call back, and we lost by a point because the field goal kicker missed the field goal mm. at the end of the game. And I get benched the next week. We lose by a point, and the next week, George benches me and puts Sonny in. And Sonny was healthy. And Sonny played three games and played very good, actually. And when we went to play the Giants up there and uh, in, in uh, Yankee Stadium, and uh, that's when he snapped his Achilles, and now he was out for the year, and I was the quarterback from that on, and we didn't lose a game till we clinched the the championship. We had we lost our last two, but uh, we uh, we had clinched the the division and uh, and home field advantage in the playoffs, and. Right. Uh, he didn't, you know, and George didn't play Charlie and didn't play Larry Brown and Charlie Haraway. He he benched a lot of guys the last two games except me. Right. <laughs> you get to go in without your uh, without your tools and your weapons. I guess I don't know. <laughs> um, and then and then obviously you faced the undefeated Dolphins in the Super Bowl. Tough game. Uh, obviously, uh, not well, the. Was- yeah. No, it, it it was uh, kind of a defensive game. I don't think either team uh, offensively did real well. You know, our defense shut them out in the second half. Right. Uh, in the first half, they scored 14 points. We missed a field goal. I know we missed a field goal in the first half. And uh, the second half, actually, one of the reasons – is I ran up and down the field, uh, and when and uh, offensively we missed another field goal, and then uh, one time I had Jerry Smith wide open in the end zone and hit the the upright, upright, yeah. you know, and uh, I which I didn't see. I thought he was I was gonna it was a touchdown, and I yeah. hit that upright. And, and that was uh, the second to last year that the uprights were up on the goal line. Yeah. That's right, and uh, but anyway, yeah, it was unfortunate. But you know, Miami played a great defensive game against us, and uh, they stopped. You know, Larry, Larry, we kind of wanted to feature Larry because the game before the when the Dolphins played the Cleveland Browns in a playoff game, Cleveland ran for two hundred yards against them, and so we thought we could run on them, and we ended up not. Getting, I don't know. We, I don't think we gained a hundred yards rushing that day. But uh, yeah, I think anyway. If I remember the story correctly, uh, Dick Shap, the reporter, uh, was one of the people charged with coming up with the MVP of the game, and he had had a late night the night before, 
Bandit so, trap. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and sees that that Jake Scott has two picks and just gives it to him. Meanwhile, Manny Fernandez had some ridiculous yeah. number of tackles, like eighteen tackles or seventeen, t- some huge number of tackles. And I think yeah. a lot of them probably on Larry Brown that day. Yeah, and Manny probably should have got it. You're right. Yeah. Um, and uh, so okay, so 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 lose that game, and then. And then you and Sonny are still together for the next couple of years with George and the team still mm-hmm. going to the playoffs and enjoying success. Obviously, you know, that the phrase over the Hill gang team's getting a little bit older, but still having plenty of success. Um, yeah, we made the playoffs four years in a row there. Yeah. And, and what five out of six total in your years there? Um, five out of six. Yeah. We, yeah, we missed it 75. And we got John Riggins in 76, and we went to the playoffs that year. And then uh, uh, 77, then after 77, we missed by, uh, we, lost, we lost the playoffs by, to the Bears. We tied the Bears, but they had beaten us, so we lost the playoffs because the Bears had beaten us. Oh, okay. But we had the same record <laughs> in 74. In 77, I meant, 77. Sure. And it's about that time, well, I guess going back and to- And then like, George retired. George retired, right. And um, uh, along with you and Sonny, all of a sudden in, in Sonny's last year, while you're kind of in the middle of your run with the Redskins, Joe Theismann comes along as yeah. a, basically a punt returner, you know, third quarterback, um, did you, do, could you see then what, you know, he ultimately became, was it evident that he was going to, you know, have a nice run? Well, the story there is in, uh, 1974, uh, the regular, uh, team was on strike during our training camp, the whole training camp. Right. And they brought the rookies in to play and played exhibition games. And of course, Joe was a rookie then in the NFL. He had played in Canada, but he's a rookie in the NFL. And so, you know, he got in. I think they were playing Houston in, in RFK, and he had a good game, and he won the game. And one of the reporters asked him, uh, the Worship Post reporter asked him, well, what are you going to do when Kilburn Jurgensen come back to camp? And he said, well, I'll keep those two old men on the bench. Uh-huh. And I read that. And I immediately called Sonny, because we were both in Washington, and I said, Sonny, did you see what he said? And he said, yeah, we'll have him catching punts at the end of the year, which he did. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. That is funny. Yeah. Oh, that's that's a great line. That's funny. So anyway, yeah, Joe was there in 74, you know, on up till I retired in 78. But yeah. see, George had left, and then Jack Pardee came in in 78, and I knew I was history when George left, and I was trying to get traded out there. I think he wanted, but the Redskins weren't going to trade me out there, and uh, they ended up, you know, I played one more year for him, and, you know, as a backup. I knew I was going to, they wanted to, you know, the new regime came in, Bobby. Uh, oh, Bethel. <clears throat> Bethard came in as the player, you know, general manager, and they wanted to get rid of the over the hill gangs, you know, and uh, and of course Jack Pardee, who happened to be one of us, came in as a head coach, and 
he went along with the program, and I knew his history anyway. So, uh, you know, I played one more year, and uh, actually, I got I got a contract that was up and uh, during training camp. You know, I told Jack to call me in, and I, I said, you know, because I, I hadn't signed my contract and everything, and I told him that I had a bad knee anyway, and the, and the doctor hadn't really signed me off. I said, I can get my knee cut on. I want a two-year contract, and I want it guaranteed. I know I'm going to be in an insurance policy here. And yeah. uh, so all I want is a, 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 two guaranteed contracts this year and next year in, in 79. And uh, I don't want any more money. I just want to guarantee what I was making. And, uh, and so Bethard wouldn't give it to me. He said, we don't give guaranteed contracts. So during training camp, Ed Williams, who was the president of the club at the time, sure. he came up to practice and he called me into his office and uh, he said, well, what's the deal? I said, look, Ed, I'm here as an insurance policy. You don't know if this kid can play, you know, and be the starter. He's been a backup here, and I said, uh, I'm an insurance policy. And I said, I just want two years guaranteed and uh, no more money, and that's it. And he said, okay, you got it. So uh, anyway, I played 78 as the backup. I got in one, I started one game that year against the 49ers. And... Uh, then the next year, they asked me to retire, which I did, but I got paid for 79. Oh, nice. That's a, <laughs> some nice negotiating at the end of your career. Well done. Yeah, well, I got an extra year. So so I have to ask you, before we conclude, you it, it, it's one of those like amazing things that there's certain iconic plays in NFL history. And it's amazing how many you were either directly involved in or you were right there. You know, it was a game <laughs> you were involved in. Um, and I've never quite seen it put this way. So I, I'm not going to ask you to, you know, kind of comment on all of them, but I'll just kind of rattle them off. And there, there are two in particular I do want to ask you about. So you were the guy who made the catch um, and then ultimately fumbled that Jim Marshall scooped up, recovered and took the wrong way for a touchdown. Uh, Vikings 49ers game. It then, happened to me, yeah, in 1964, and I was that was one of my last uh, games as a running back. I started right. out the season in '64 as a running back uh, that year, but I, you know, after my leg was busted and I came back, my I just didn't have the quickness to play running back anymore. So anyway, we were low on running backs, got hurt, and so I ended up playing a few games, and that was probably one of my last ones where they spun me around, and uh, Carl Kosoki came up behind me and knocked the ball out, and it took one hop, and here uh, uh, Marshall took it on one hop and just kept running, and yeah. the the stands went crazy. Everybody was a and Tarkington is running down the field trying to get him to turn around. And he and Marshall, you know, he thought he scored a touchdown. Yeah. The bad thing about the play is he didn't drop the ball in the end zone because Bruce Bosley had followed him all the way down the field. And instead of dropping it in the end zone where we could have dropped on and got a touchdown, he threw it in the stands because he was so happy. Right. And it was only a safety. 
and we ended okay. up losing by three or four points. <laughs> oh, that's okay. That's interesting. Okay. So, wow. He caught a break on that. It's interesting. I played high school football against Carl Kosoki's son in Minnesota. Oh, did you? Yeah. Back in the eighties. Yeah. Carl uh, was a good guy. Yeah. And such a shame the the paralysis yeah, shame. of the motorcycle accident. Exactly. Uh, and then you also, so Tom Dempsey famously, and it's amazing how 50 years later, it's still like the second longest field goal of all time. Tom That's Dempsey right. kicks a 63 yard field goal on a drive that you led. And what's incredible about that one in, in that game. So he sets the record. And, and for those, for the listener who doesn't know, Tom Dempsey only had half a foot. So he kicked with like a club boot on his foot. Yep. Exactly. yard field goal in the same game that he also kicked an eight yard field goal, which is obviously impossible to do now. But if you have the ball on the one yard line back in the days when the goal post was on the goal line, the snap is, you know, the, the holder seven yards back, it's an eight yard field goal. So yeah. he kicked the shortest possible field goal. And then the NFL record longest field goal, Tom Dempsey in the That's same, right. goal, which is incredible. And you were the quarterback who led the drive. Well, I was. It wasn't a. It wasn't a real big drive because it was one pass. Uh, you know, the the we were ahead of, them, of the Lions by a point or something, and they or no, uh, we were ahead of them by six points, I think, or something like that. And they drove the uh, the whole field and scored a touchdown, and they went up seventeen sixteen. Right. Yeah, and uh, so I, they kicked off into the end zone, and we got it on the 20. And we got in the huddle, and I told Al Dodd, I said, they're going to play off, you know. I said, go down there about 30, 20 yards. And, and Dick LeBeau was the corner over there, and he was off 50 yards, you know. he was, And so I threw a nice pass, and Al caught it out there about 20 yards, and and got out of bounds, stopped the clock, and there was what few four, five, six seconds left in the game. Not many, because yeah. yeah. uh, you know he went in. You know, Dempsey kicked the ball, and when he kicked it, I thought, "Oh man, he made this because it just boomed out of there, and it wasn't high. It was shot out of a cannon." Yeah, it's a and, line uh, drive. Kick there wasn't the really field. much wind either. Actually, I don't think there was any wind then, and uh, he made that thing and uh, uh, <laughs> they were carrying Dempsey around on his shoulders it, but like a half hour after the game I remember I ran into the locker room and got undressed and showered and nobody was in the locker room me and Doug Atkins and maybe a couple other guys and all the team was out there and they're carrying Dempsey around and the stands had had they all stayed, 60,000 of them or whatever was there. Right. I remember going out to get in my car, and usually it took you two hours to even get downtown. And I was down in the Epson House in Bourbon Street within 30 minutes after the gun went off. <laughs> and one of the bartenders said, I thought you played today. I said, I did. They're still carrying. They had the radio radio on, and they were still carrying Dempsey around the stadium. That's amazing, and that couldn't have been easy because he was a college offensive lineman. He was not yeah. your prototypical thin little kicker. No, no, he was heavy. <laughs> yeah, he was a barrel-chested little guy. Yeah, he was a strong kid, really. You know, great bar, Absinthe House, by the way. Love that bar. 
Yeah. And the, yep. so the last one I have to ask you about, because obviously also the Gary Yepremian pass in the Super Bowl and the John Gilliam kickoff on the first play for New Orleans. Right. But the, right. the one I have to ask you about is, uh, unfortunately for you, it was a loss. Um, the Thanksgiving game where earlier in the week, Dyron Talbert says, well, we're going to, you know, if we can knock out Staubach, we have a chance, you know, we can beat these guys. And Staubach gets knocked out. Thanksgiving game, Redskins versus Cowboys. You guys were winning. I, you're winning by two touchdowns. Or two well, touchdowns at least. Yeah. And in comes Clint Longley, who from Abilene Christian, the only thing known about him is that he allegedly wrestles uh, rattlesnakes. And <laughs> He comes in and throws two bombs for touchdowns. Actually, and, three. Oh, was it three? Okay, three. Yeah. yeah, I think he threw three passes, and the last one was the winning one. He, yeah. he threw. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, it's funny about that game. Uh, Roger, of course, Staubach was the quarterback, and uh, he was having a bad game. And, and I remember the start of the fourth quarter. I went up and down the the defensive lineman. I said, "Down! Don't knock Roger out of the game because they used to have a a they used to have a deal where if they knocked out a quarterback, everybody else had to give the guy a hundred dollars. You know, it was a defensive lineman deal, and right. was, you know, a, 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 I don't know, kind of quarterback bench or something. And I went up and I said, "Don't knock." Roger out. He can't beat us today. Yeah, the we ball's got him. sailing on him. You got him. You got him rattled. And it was. I mean, he he wasn't having a good day. And I'd forgot to tell Dave Robinson. He was a linebacker on the left side. He blitzed and knocked Roger out. That <laughs> started the fourth quarter. And uh, uh, you know, and then like you said, Longley came in and. You know, we didn't know how to defense him, I guess. I don't know. He threw three best three passes he's ever thrown in his life. Yeah. And I remember one of the Dallas linemen in utter shock after the game said it was the triumph of the uncluttered mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I am. I guess so. Yeah. Well, you know, Dallas wasn't that good a team. Well, they didn't even make the playoffs that year. They, they right. had one of their worst seasons in the and, uh, you know, the next week we went to L.A. on Monday night and won the game and got in the playoffs. The, the, in, that was 74. Yep. And that was the – we'd gotten in the playoffs the first four years of George's reign there. Yeah. Well, Billy, I could. I have to tell you, I could listen to these stories all day. This is a – Well, I, I guess I could tell them. We've sat here over an hour and 20 minutes already. <laughs> so It's been a thank- pleasure, Rich. Oh, my, I'm so glad you were able to come on. Uh, everybody, I just want to thank again Billy Kilmer for coming on and, and sharing stories over the, the arc of what was a hell of a career. And uh, Billy, we really enjoy having you on and really appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. And thank you for listening to Chasing Hardware and today's guest, NFL legend Billy Kilmer. For Chasing Hardware, I'm Rich Lamello. The Michael Stanley Band brought us in and the suburbs with Life is Like are going to take us out. Look forward to speaking next time.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.